The Coffee Talk Brewers will talk, clarify mission. We're part of a team that puts people in heaven. Mm. Our part is to deliver good coffee. Mm. Let's talk about some of the visitors to our church. Let's pray for those people. Let's remember what we're about. If you don't go back to why you do what you do, eventually what you do will become mundane, boring and stale. Mm. So always start team meetings with the why. Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. Uh, my name's Phil Topham, Executive Director of the FIEC, and it is a joy today to have with me uh, Ray Evans. Uh, Ray, you are our church leadership consultant, but not just that, you're coming to the end of a long ministry. Just just let people know where you've been serving this last, I think, 40 years? Yes, yeah, I've been in Bedford at Grace Community Church. Um, yeah, I started in September 1982, and wow. I retire next month. So you started six months after I was born, Ray. <laughs> there, there we are. So that gives you some context for just how long um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've been in ministry there. But a blessed and a fruitful ministry, which has led to you um, serving the FIEC as our church leadership consultant for a couple of days a week. Um, and really what we want to touch on today is the idea of how do we train lay elders, lay leaders in our churches? And I think it's a massively important question for our churches, especially given that there doesn't seem to be a a lot out there, certainly not off the shelf Mm. for how we train a kind of leadership team, particularly an eldership team. I think most of our churches, uh, most people listening to this would would have perhaps a paid pastor, then a team of elders, but but they'd be busy guys, probably full-time jobs, families at that kind of stage of life. So there's this whole question of um, how do we think about making sure we're training well our lay leaders, especially if the model's been, well, the pastor does everything, doesn't he? He's he's the paid worker. So how do we unlock that potential in our, our leadership teams, I guess. So we're, we're going to have a bit of a, a bit of a chat about that. Is that a fair summary, fair context? Yeah, no, it is. And I think it, it might be helpful to know. So of the 40 years, probably 20, I was pretty much the sole pastor mm. with a small team of elders, sometimes one or two others. And then realising that as the church began to grow, we need to really think hard about this mm. because I was solving that problem by just working faster. Just, just let's touch on that a minute. So what, what do you mean? You're just trying to do more, burning yeah. the candle at both ends? <clears throat> yeah, just trying to. So as the church grew, I think, well, if I just work faster, I'll cope. And as you get more experience, the sermons do take less time to prepare. So you think, well, I can do that quicker. And then I can, uh, I can see more people if I just push it harder. Uh, but you, it, it's a, you're planning to fail. And we, we began to realise that I'm spinning far too many plates and this whole issue of lay leadership came up. Our, our model in the past had pretty much been uh, preacher, try and find another preacher. And then when you have, do a little bit of training and send them out to church plant, which is, which is great. But what it meant was that I, I was on my own about every three or four years. Mm. After you'd sent the guy out. Yeah. yeah. And then it happened time after time. That, and that was, in a way, it's lovely churches were planted and ministry was taking forward. But what I had not seen was the importance of growing leaders all the way through the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that great passage in Exodus 18, uh, when Jethro came to Moses. Now, look, I'm not on Moses' scale, but I, I, the same kind of feeling of I'm not, if anything slightly goes wrong, I haven't got any spare capacity. I'm working really fast. I'm, I'm tired. And I know things are getting neglected. Uh, just what Jethro saw with Moses mm. And his solution was not Moses, you know, 
um, go on another speed of where, you know, work faster, mm. get more training so that you become even more efficient. He didn't do a time management course. He said, you just need to train. And his in- insight was train leaders of tens. Uh, so they're always going to be, they're not going to be, you're not going to pay someone to lead 10. Mm. They're always going to be what we call lay leaders, non-paid uh possibly not not office bearers even. These are not necessarily elders or in, in, in New Testament terms. They're people who can support and help other people set those up. And then you will then have leaders of fifties, leaders of hundreds, leaders of thousands. Now, I'd never put any thought into that mm. and realize that I thought this solution was, well, if we've got a couple of elders, three elders, we all work like maniacs, it'll be okay. It's not okay. You're creating burnout for the paid worker. Uh, the other elders, if they're not paid, they're busy, busy anyway. Mm-hmm. And the working week has not shortened, you know, for all the promises in the 1970s that we'll be retiring by the time we were 50 in a life of leisure. Forget it. People are working long hours, commuting long, long distances. Or even if now they're working from home, uh, the stats tell us that people who work from home actually work longer hours. They're, they feel as if they're on the job all the time. So we, I neglected that really quite badly, and it constrained the growth of the church. And picking up on that began to go, I, I need to empower people who are going to help influence others for good. And I need to, to do that. I can't just exhort them from the pulpit. You know, please, will you be more committed to our church? Which is the solution I'd relied on in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, just preach one of those, come on, what's wrong with you sermons? Mm-hmm. Realizing I need to help these people, identify them, take them out, as it were, from a context where they're busy and just say, right, how can we help you influence people for good? What do you need? And some of it's doctrinal. Uh, some people, I just need to be more grounded in the faith. Uh, but most of it was to do with understanding the influence and the impact they were having in the life of the church and asking them to look after that group of 10 Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we went from a classic, I was preaching twice on a Sunday, probably 42 Sundays a year, probably, perhaps even sometimes more than that. Yeah. Then also doing the midweek Bible study, which is in a sense, a kind of more in-depth sermon. Mm. We went to home groups, small groups, and we set up initially just three and they proved very popular. But the feeling in the past was, oh, they get doctrinally wobbly. How many people have I got who could really do these well? And the answer is actually they're quite challenging. So we, we made our home groups uh, to discuss Sunday sermons, but not independent Bible studies as such, drilling the Sunday sermon down deeper. And if anybody had any really difficult issues, come and see the preacher, me. So, so, so they were your initial yeah. leaders of 10, as it yeah, were. Yeah. yeah. And those groups grew very fast. And we've gone from three initially, we now have about 30 in the life of the church. Mm. And recognizing too, not only get those those leaders of tens apart, help them, envision them, equip them, but also get them to think, who are you going to bring on? So mm. there's a pipeline. So every small group leaders, who is going to be the person taking this small group on from you? You create a kind of pipeline. And, and it was very small and it was, you know, but we got those groups leaders apart probably four times a year for an evening. Uh, you know, we'd eat together and then we'd do some training and immediately began to pay dividends. They would look after, if you like, low-grade pastoral issues. Uh, someone's not feeling very well. Someone 
you know, babies being born and our home group would provide the meals for the next couple mm. of weeks. So it wasn't all down to just a, a few elders and, and particularly, you know, Ray and his wife and, and began to think I've neglected this. So I started putting more effort into that. These, these folks were terrific. All of a sudden I realized these people have tremendous potential. And it's also at a scale which they could manage with. So we weren't asking them to lead a home group and, you know, do this and do this and do this and do this. There weren't a select few so much as let's empower as many as we can and give them what they need. And then began to realise, well, why don't we do this for so much else of what we do? So you expanded it from the home group model yeah. to lead teams in other areas of church life. Yeah. So we, we re-engineered, if I can use that phrase. So in the past, we'd be, We'd been dependent on individual volunteers. Would somebody please look after the sound system? Would somebody please make the coffee? Would somebody please put out the chairs? That kind of thing. And, and of course, you do that in a small church. Everybody does a little of everything. But as we grew, perhaps around the 100 people, 120 people mark, there are teams beginning to develop. So people who've got musical skills, people who are helping with the children, but they're more rotors than teams. Mm. And what do I mean by that is... Well, why rotors such a problem for you? Because it's one of your hobby horses, yeah. brother, if, if I may. You, yeah. you don't like rotors, do you? No, I don't. Well, teams may use rotors, but a team isn't a rotor. Okay. So you say to people, are you in a team? They go, yeah, yeah. I serve every third week when my name's on... The rotor. The rotor. Mm. So do you ever step back and think about what you do? Oh, no, of course not. I just look at the rotor and then I... Well, that's my turn. Now, rotors are good like that, what what it what can a lull you. Can't, it can't build a team. Can no, it, it can no. lull you into a false sense that we've got teams when we haven't. A team is a group of people who step apart from what they do and review what they do and think about do we need some training? Do we need more people on the team? And the genius too of a team is a team leader needs to empower all the voices in the team. So I began to realise that I needed to train leaders, not just how to do something, but how to lead a team of people who are going to deliver. And, and we, we came up with a little mantra in the church. Uh, we want everybody in something, but nobody in too much. Mm. And, and what we'd got before that was we had a hot core, some people in loads of things, you know, putting out chairs, they were doing the welcome, they were helping with the kids, they were packing away afterwards. They'd serve in the midweeks. They were really, really busy. And then when you ask those people, would you also like to become an elder in the church? They look at you as they're like, you, what, you got to be joking. Mm, I am already mm. maxed out. And, and you think particularly of a couple, a husband and wife, you think we hardly see each other yeah, because we're so committed. You can't, can, you can't maintain that. You've got to say to a couple like that, that we don't want you in too much. It's okay. Uh, serve somewhere, but you don't have to be involved in everything. Then other people who are particularly perhaps new to the church, if, if they come to a church of maybe 100 people, they probably look around and go, do you know what? You've pretty got it all taped. I, I, we can't see that you need us. Whereas when you go to a model of saying, well, look, here's teams. Is, is there anything that you're interested in? Our church needs, you know, be involved in something, not in everything. And, and that helped us uh, cool down the core, give, gave some people their life back a bit, and then others who felt they weren't needed began to see, oh, I've got a role to play. So our recruitment, if I can put it like, went up really quite significantly. So instead of just asking for volunteers to serve on a team, uh, individually, what about serving as a team? The sound, mm. 
okay, maybe only three of you, but why don't you think of it as a team and think what would it take for this team to do better? So I needed to train people in how to run teams well. Mm. And uh, very few of us in our formal training paid pastors. Uh, maybe some people in their, their work environment, if they work in, a, say, a hospital, in a charity, or maybe in the business sector, they have had some team training. But there's quite a lot of difference between working with paid staff in a team to volunteers. And if you don't understand the different dynamic there, um, someone from the business world can come into a team and start giving out orders and, and wondering why it isn't working very well and realizing uh, you've got no uh, carrot, i.e. They, they can't have a you know big fat bonus at mm -hmm. the end of the year. You, got, you haven't got that. And uh, the stick, uh, well, to be honest, if you're nasty to somebody in a team, they'll go, fine, I'll go, you yeah. do it, you yeah. do it. So you, you've got to do some training there. So I began to invest. I, I put, if I like, Theological training a little bit to one side, trusting the ordinary means of grace to give mm. the theological training. The, the Sunday by Sunday. The Sunday the by Sunday, the yeah. midweeks. And also maybe I'd, I'd go and see leaders and talk through things if there's anything that they're really unsure about. But I, I, I thought, no, I trust the ordinary means of grace for the theological grid, but I do need to give input into how to handle people well. Uh, how to lead a team well, uh, how to empower voices. Because mm. most people feel like a leader is someone who issues orders. That's how they understand it. And you need to say, no, no, no. A leader is someone who empowers other people to take part and to speak up. The leader has the power of summary. The leader is the, is the one that enables the team to function well. So in that sense, a very different skill from issuing orders. And, and some of us have come from organizations and churches where leaders have basically delegated tasks. And you think back and go, do you know what? I'm just a minion. The leader has made the plan. The leader's decided what the important things are. They just told me what to do. That doesn't work well in the long run. It demotivates people. Mm. And, and people feel used. Now, there are some great resources I've come across. So uh, that, that really helped me. If I can mention two in particular. Yeah, go on. We'll put them in the uh, show notes at the end. Yeah, so, so they'll be in the bottom. One was uh, a leader called Walter Wright wrote a book called Relational Leadership. It's an older book now, but in it, he had about four or five pages where he described what he called the CARE plan. It's an acronym and it's genius. It's absolute gold dust. Now, he's in a slightly different context, but what he said is when you get the team together, how does a good team meeting function? Many people's experience of team meetings is very poor. I was just reading last week, actually, some statistics. 80% uh, of people said the teams they belong to, they feel are fairly ineffective. 50% said, you know, they just don't work very well because we're all so different. People then go on to say, um, uh, 30, 39% said they'd gone to sleep in team meetings. 91% said they daydream. And 70% said they're doing other work under the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. We can all relate to some of those, right? I won't <laughs> no, tell you no, which no. ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's a shame if team meetings end up being a negative in people's lives. So how can we make these team meetings really good? And there are some hints and tips. And Walter Wright's care plan, clarify the mission. Always go back to why are we doing what we're doing? Tell the stories 
about people's lives being touched. So even the coffee team at church, they get together, they talk about brewing better coffee, but the mission is not to brew better coffee. The brewing coffee is a means. Mm. The purpose is to touch people's lives. And if you give a visitor a cup of coffee after a service and it's half decent, they'll stop and, ch- and chat. They'll build a relationship. And for some people, if that, this is their very first time in a Christian church, it's a really scary place to be. Mm. Give them a good cup of coffee, have a good chat. They go, do you know what? I'll come back. Yeah. It could be the most important step they make on their way from uh, the city of destruction, as Bunyan put it, mm. to the celestial city. Mm. So the, te- the, the, the coffee talk at Brewers will talk, clarify mission. We're part of a team that puts people in heaven. Mm. Our part is to deliver good coffee. Mm. Let's talk about some of the visitors to our church. Let's pray for those people. Let's remember what we're about. If you don't go back to why you do what you do, eventually what you do will become mundane, boring, and stale. Mm. So always start team meetings with the why. Clarify the mission. Get people remembering, fixing their eyes on the Lord. Mm. Mm. That's great. Then second, agree goals. Specific goals, not just, you, you'll know many meetings, uh, we have an agenda, we go through it, and then we put it on to the next agenda. Nothing really changes. Mm. So, you know, you want the team to deliver well. Now, at this point, I really encourage team leaders to say, now your job at this point is to get people talking. They'll have ideas. Some of them will be afraid to say so. They'll see problems that you can't see. They, they may come up with practical plans that are brilliant if you don't get those voices heard, some great ideas never get spoken and mm. then action doesn't happen. And when a team begins to generate ideas like that and then forms action plans and everybody feels they've got a part to play, is it where the flesh is in the game? They feel they're owning what's happening. Uh, they feel they're shaping the life of their team and everybody wants to be in a team that delivers better. Mm. So agree on goals, make those goals specific Timed, you know, you've been in many meetings where somebody says, leave it with me. And you go, is that for the rest of eternity? <laughs> no, it will never actually happen. <laughs> so we try, like, let's let, when are you going to get that done by? Mm. Uh, how much is going to cost? Um, who else needs to help you with that? Uh, and get those specific goals. And then, uh, again, a simple little tip. Uh, I made mistakes like this for about 35 years of my 40. Okay. Was we, I would write notes up afterwards. I'd send the notes out. I'd even get a highlighter pen and say under somebody's name, you know, you agreed to do this. Mm. It still didn't make much difference because mm. I don't know about you. When you get um, notes of a, a meeting, you go, yeah, file it away quick. Yeah. So what, what one author asked, say, go around the team at that point and every person own their action mm. in front of the whole team. My action from this meeting is to do, do, do. And I'll do it by, and then the next time you meet, everybody reports back on the action plans. And it may be, so look, I know I said I'd get it done by last Tuesday, but I'm afraid I had a car crash to work. I, I had, to, you know, that's fine. That, that helps make ideas happen. Because mm-hmm. one of the great problems is great ideas never see the light of day. They don't happen. So agree on goals. Our review p- performance, yeah. review progress. Uh, if you don't have feedback, you don't get any better. Uh, Christians are not good at receiving feedback because it often feels like a personal attack. And sometimes in their workplace, that's what it's been. Mm. 
uh, I don't like you and I'm going to do everything I can to get you out of this job. So how do you do that graciously then in a so Christian context? You, you create a culture where it's normal to just feedback on everything. Everybody, what, come on, what, now we, by, by not crushing people, we use that match of the day too, too good, too bad. Mm. What two things went really well? The last time our team did whatever it did, what two things that stood out? Let's tell a story, but let's just, two things that could have gone better. Um, so you're not necessarily feeding back on necessarily a person's character weaknesses or, you know, you're a bit late or you're talking about delivering something. So it may be, we had a case last week, uh, somebody said, oh, it was one of the crackly microphones. Um, I should have got it sorted before. It's my fault. I should have just done a sound check. Um, lear lesson learned, let's make sure we do our sound checks, that kind of thing. Uh, review performance. Sometimes you want external feedback. It's really helpful. The team might ask other people, mm. what do you make of the coffee? What do you make of the music? What do you make? It, it, never be afraid of getting feedback. Sometimes it's painful because people will see things you can't see, the, the classic blind spot. Mm. But mature Christianity not only trusts people by disclosing things, saying, look, you need to know this, but also receiving things that are sometimes hard to hear. Tell me what you see that I can't see. It's a very strong, mature person that says, come on, what can't I see? And a leader can model that. Mm. Uh, some leaders want to feed back to the people who work for them in the team, but don't want the team to feed back on them. But if a leader creates the culture by saying, oh, come on, what can you see? So we used to review my sermons as a team of, uh, we had people lead the service. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit of one of the last talks I did. I mm. want your feedback on my talks. And I created a culture of feedback with this. Feedback is not personal attack. That's quite, that's quite disarming. Yeah. It's, for, for, for a lot of people listening, they wouldn't, that wouldn't come naturally to them perhaps. No, no. It, well, I think that's where if you, if you create it in a team and people realise that it's not out to score points, in some ways team feedback is a little bit easier than f personal feedback uh, where you are having to say, you know, look, brother or sister, this is not working and, you know, you're letting us down here. That, they're hard conversations mm -hmm. to have. But in a team, somebody said, look, I think we were all a bit late on the job last week and somebody then holds their hand up and says, that was me. You know, I forgot to bring the key for the door. That's why you're all queuing up outside. My fault. Uh, once people get to realise that, you know, this is not running people down, it's all aiming for the team to perform better next time. Mm. Then the final thing, E, equip the team. It may be the team says, and again, all the voices, what, what do you think we need to get better at the moment? Somebody might say, could we, could we uh, recruit some new people in the team? Uh, permission, can I, I think, I've, I think I need to move on from this team. Mm. Uh, could we read something? Could we listen to a podcast? <laughs> could we read a book? Could we go to a conference together? Could we just have a curry mm. and have some fun? Mm. You equip the team. Now, if a, if a team leader who feels, many of them feel unskilled, they feel, oh, I'm not very good at this. You say, look, just follow this. Maybe an hour and a half, just follow this little acronym. You know, you don't have to do it explicitly, mm -hmm. but in your mind, but you might want to spell it out. But almost guarantee you, you'll have a good team meeting. People will have heard, you would have had some structure, you'd have started with the why, you'd mm -hmm. have looked up the how, you'd have done some review and you would have sent the team away more equipped. People love working in teams. And we found that as teams began to generate good ideas and were given permission to try things, uh, our recruitment 
went through the roof. Mm. So we have something like 45 teams in the church now. Wow. You are a large church. We're a large church now, but it started tiny. Mm. Uh, You know, just three or four teams, the sound, the music. We just began to move from individuals and rotors to a a much more consciously, let's talk about this together. Mm. And loads of people felt equipped. Mm. Now, from those teams, some of your leaders emerge as really outstanding. They're really great. And they're going to be your elders and deacons. So your, your home group leaders that really care for that small flock, you go, well, if you can care for a flock of 10, maybe you could be someone who could care for a flock of 50. Mm. You know, you're, if you're, you're, home, you're good home group leaders, if you're like your proto-elders, and your good team leaders are your proto-deacons. You're, in a sense, you're doing what Paul says, uh, let them be tra- tested first. Let them try it out first. If you've seen a great team leader, you think, well, if you've led a small team of four people, maybe you could be a deacon mm. to empower what we do with widows. Or, you, or, you know, you could be the deacon that looks after our buildings and stuff because you've done a great job with that small team. And that helped create a culture that we grow leaders all the way through the church. It isn't about corporals and sergeants and then you become an officer. It's not like it's not that hierarchy. It's a hierarchy of serving and being recognized and others saying, you know, John does a great job in our home group. You know, mm-hmm. oh, thanks for letting me know. So that answers the question, doesn't it, about how a small church can start to replicate this? Because actually what you're saying is you need to be raising up leaders throughout the church. And that counts whether you're a church of 500 like Grace or if mm. you're a church of 20 or 30 like a, a new startup or a smaller a smaller yeah. work. Yeah. So you're, 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 you, this is replicable, yeah. isn't it? I yeah, think. it is. But just on that, and I think this is where the rubber will hit the road for a lot of leaders. How did you step away from the busyness of the running too fast and the spinning plates to actually give the time to start this up. Because I think for some listening, they, they, they'll be thinking, I just can't possibly step back from what I'm doing to even think about the Jethro principle mm. at this point. The, the show needs to be on the road and we've got to keep it going. How do, you, how do you step out of that and begin to empower these teams at every level of church life? Yeah, that's very helpful. So I, I began to realize I, I could break my job down into three major sections. Uh, one was teaching and I, I you know, needed a certain amount of time to prepare talks and then deliver those talks. That's probably about a third of my working week. Uh, another third was um, pastoral care. Uh, and that might be visiting people in hospital, um, helping a marriage that's going through a difficult time, or just going to see people, seeing how they are praying with them. But I began to realize something about a third of my working week was some form of admin, um, preparing rotors, uh, planning things, uh, making sure things were happening. And it crept up on me. It didn't start out as that proportion. But as I reflected on it, I think, you know, I spend quite a lot of time, um, in a sense, doing kind of bureaucratic tasks. So for example, uh, the church didn't have an office. The office was my study. Mm. It was easier for me to have the Xerox machine in my study. It was easier for me to do the Xeroxing of anything that needed to be done. That's printing for people of a certain age, isn't it? Yes, printing. Yes. Um, And uh, (laughs) Phil, I come from the day when we used to handwrite everything. I know, brother. (laughs) Sorry, I interrupted your flow, but I just thought it was worth saying. That's what you're talking about when you talk about Xeroxing. So uh, I would do all that. Now, it was just convenient. Saturday night, okay, want to do some printing out of some songs for Sunday. Look, leave it with me, I'll do it. 
But but when I began to think about it, I think this is growing. It's a, admin is a growing area in church life. Mm. And although we had someone looking after the finances, and we did have people willing to volunteer with some of the admin. But to be honest, it was so like, if I have to take this to your house and then you do it, and then I have to come back and pick it up, to be honest, it's easier if I did it. But I realized that actually this is something I could give away more easily than the other aspects of my job. But it come to the point where you go, yeah, but it's quite a big ask. I began to realize maybe eight or 10 hours a week. And I'm, I was very helped by Mark Lawrence from um, Dunstable said, we, we've as a church thing, if a task takes between six and eight hours a week, we ought to fund it as a part-time job. And I'd never really thought of that in the past. In the past, we'd always had full-time pastor looking for another full-time pastor. And our model had been get another, you know, train up a young guy, send him out and preach. The idea of having a part-time worker was, was a new thought. And, but I was so grateful because we, we did a point of part-time administrator because we, I felt very uncomfortable asking somebody, could you give up six hours more of your volunteer mm, time? It's mm, not fair. Mm. But we found someone who said, I, I quite happily, you know, six to eight hours a, a week. Didn't cost us a huge amount of money, but boy, did it take a lot off my desk. And once we took stuff off my desk, before I filled it with more pastoral visitation and longer sermon prep, I thought, right, this is the time to step back and go and empower the opinion leaders in the church, the people who are already influencing people for good mm. and spend time with these people before it gets filled up with problems. So that was how we sort of slightly cracked that one, Phil. Fantastic. So you, you invested in it financially to free you up, to enable you to invest yeah. in training others. Yeah. yeah. If, some, if a church isn't in that position, what advice would you give for how to start this process if they're not able to immediately remove things from their desk in the way that, that you were? Yeah. Well, well, you could do it in several ways. For example, if you're a really busy pastor and you think, you know, I'm preaching twice a sermon, why don't you plan for a month of visiting speakers so that you think, right, I haven't, got a, I haven't got a sermon to prepare for a whole month. You know, instead of doing eight sermons, I've got none. I'm going to use that month to get together the, like the three or four people in our church that could lead a small group or lead a team. And I'm going to do some intensive, get them together, talk about like, like the care plan, read a little bit more about it. Great. Another great uh, book, uh, Patrick Lencioni, The Ideal Team Player, it's called. Mm. talks about training people to be hungry, humble and smart. You could read that book. You get some great ideas. What would it, what would it mean to grow in emotional intelligence, to understand people who are different from you, so that when you set your team up, you understand not everybody in the team has got your way of doing things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't understand how people are different from you, you can often feel like, what's wrong with these people? Why aren't they as excited as I am? Why can't they get that task done in two hours? I can do it in two hours. Why can't they do it in two hours? If you don't understand that, you, you could do a lot of damage. Read some resources like that, spend a month, and you'd be amazed that, you know, you, you think, yeah, I've just got 10 or 12 hours a week. I've got 40 hours this month to invest in four or five people. Makes a massive difference. 
Fantastic. Ray, it's been great to talk about how you can empower a team. It's great to hear about all the teams you've set up at Grace over many decades. Uh, Praise God for that. But I hope this has been helpful for folk listening in terms of of how uh, they can similarly set up teams within their own churches. Ray, it's been great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. This has been Independence, the FIEC podcast. Uh, Do uh, rate, leave a review so others can find it if it's been helpful to you. Uh, And we'll speak to you uh, again soon. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. 